Tuesday evening in Preston Park. The place is buzzing. I'm sitting on a tree stump. It's outrageous. Welcome to Creative Loving Spirit. Welcome back if you joined us before. Thank you very much for listening. It's been really nice to have some lovely feedback from people who heard the last conversation with Pete Strong. So I think I'm just going to get straight on with it now. This week's conversation, this week's guest, Chelsea Newton-Mountney, who is a theatre maker, a person who wears many hats, including actor, producer, director. Chelsea uses improvisation to devise work. And we had a lot to explore about creativity through uh, talking about improvisation, what that tells us about the creative process, a little bit about Chelsea's uh, upbringing and her background and the influences upon her that led to her being, in her words, a maker of things. And her experience of going to university, being a young adult, making choices about what career path to go down and <laughs> what that taught her about herself and unlearning some of those things and getting comfortable with being who she is, making what she wants to make. It's a very inspiring conversation. With her company, Pop Heart Productions, uh, she has a show opening this week, week commencing 21st of May, which will be now by the time this goes up. So do get along to see that. We'll share the links for that. Otherwise, I'll shut up now and say, listen to this conversation in three, two, one. Which is a pro and a con. <laughs> yeah. Do you um, frequently over prepare or go, why did I bother researching the history of Chinese pottery? <laughs> <laughs> Very, I never feel over prepared, but then sometimes <laughs> you, get, you get a certain amount of confidence when you prepared and other people haven't, but then maybe that says more about a lack of confidence than anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm a very prep person, which is why improv is great for me as a practice. Well, <laughs> yeah. I would like to do it in the room. Just improvisation as a general thing is what? great. So, have you ever done any? And no, and this actually uh, that is one of the things that I, I'm interested in and kind of admire about uh, you and what I know about you because to me, yeah, I haven't had any experience mm. in that and it feels like, oh, that's a dark art and <laughs> yeah. it's going to be like really scary and... Um... Oh, it definitely is, all those things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but oh. it's also brilliant and beautiful and like ridiculous and I think it's really good for anyone. I think something someone told me when I started doing improv was that you, you are improvising all the time like we're improvising now because we're just talking and we don't know what's going to come next mm-hmm. and once someone told me that I just like chilled out a bit I was like oh yeah and like although there's like a thousand rules and structures which make you a good improviser or good at telling a story actually like there's no there's nothing wrong that you can do you know as long as you're kind and generous within it 
then it will be fine, you know. So that, that, yeah, that's interesting because that's that is that is the creative mode of operating, isn't it? Mm. Yes, your teachers or uh, observation that we improvise all the time mm. and the failure thing I think is interesting if you take away the idea that you can get it wrong yeah or you can fail in it then you can fly and anything is permitted within those like boundaries totally which totally ties into all the like creative process stuff as well I think and um it's really interesting when I'm talking to the kids it's pineapples is that what you're looking at no no it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Your pen has pineapples on it to explain that uh, comment. Uh, um, sorry, yeah, you were saying about uh, with the with the teenagers when I oh when I've taught adults it as well that the concept that um, there is no wrong and you can't mess it up is really like mind blown. Like people don't trust that for a really long time. That you know it it is a you know you can't go wrong as long as you're kind in this you can't go wrong and like people. I think it's, that's a really unnerving thought because then there's no there's no rules in a way. There's loads of rules. There's a structure, not rules. But yeah. So you, you find that when you're uh, teaching uh, children, anyone, or youth, or anyone, anyone yeah. really, that is a that is it's a bit of a paradigm shift for people because I guess educationally and otherwise we're we're tested against you know the ideas of right or wrong aren't we the, the whole kind of free play or creative mm. interpretation of things is not something that a lot of people have experience of no know. and same when with devising as well that thing of um i really like the idea that there's when you're trying to improvise or you're trying to devise something that you can literally start with nothing with no stimuli and i really like working that way and i really like teaching people that kind of framework of thinking that even when there's seemingly nothing there is something and I think that's really a really nice way of looking at things like especially when you're going for a really dry patch or you have a block and you have to remind yourself like no there's a thousand things here you're just not seeing them and it's about like allowing yourself to just see and then there's, there's always something you know mm, that's yeah very uh Kind of a, a appreciative, like it, it invites people to to I don't know maybe be, be more aware or be more open mm. to question the assumptions about there not being anything and uh, kind of yeah open people's brains up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, and even I think even worse than that, that whole idea of um, well better, but it sounds really pretentious. That act of theatre thing that. Um, I think it might come from Peter Brook, but I'm not sure that um, if a man walks onto a stage and there's no one there, uh, then it's not an act of theatre, but if a man walks on a stage and there's people watching, then that is an act of theatre. And I really like that idea, and it ties into the whole nothing thing. There is always something, there is never nothing. Mm. It's about looking at it right. That's all very much in the ballpark of some of the things that I was kind of interested to ask you about. And we will swing back around there. Cool. I'm interested, as a way of introducing yourself, how, how is it you describe what you make, mm. or, yeah, what, what do you call yourself when you introduce yourself to people? Um, I've recently started saying theatre maker, but then sometimes I just say, I, I, I just say, I just make things. Because I was always taught, not, I was home educated, so I was taught a lot of really brilliant things that... A lot of those got kind of ruined when I went to uni and um, a lot of my thoughts on things changed. But at uni I was always taught that you could only be 
an actor. And that was all, you know, you're only an actor. You can't, if you want to be an actor, you can't do other things as well. You know, you don't want to be like clever or intellectual or like want to be creative. You're an actor, was the vibe I felt. Um, so when I left, which was like mm, six years ago when I left uni, um, I've spent kind of all that time on doing a lot of the things I learned <laughs> at uni really and um, completely started from scratch with a lot of things. So did you come out of uni um, with that kind of, through that mindset and looking on what you were, whatever you were doing, thinking, oh, I, I'm Chelsea, I'm an actor. Is that, is that, was, is that uh, I felt like I'm Chelsea, that? I'm a failed actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, then, and then I realised, um, that's a really negative way of putting it, but that's kind of, you know, how maybe other people would see it. But I, I realised that, you know, as well, that I just should have gone to art school and that traditional drama training was probably the wrong choice um, at the time, but I really wanted to do it. Um, but that I have so many other elements of things I'm interested in. And when I started like meeting people and they were doing, you know, they were doing several things, I was like, oh, I could do several things as well. I don't have to just do that. And people kept telling me, no, if you want to be an actor, you can only be an actor. People kept telling me that. So I tried for a bit just being like a good actor and I dyed my hair a really boring colour and had like wore quite normal clothes, what I considered normal clothes. And it I actually had less um, opportunities than I ever did before. Wow. So after that happened, I suddenly went, oh, right, trying to not be yourself is actually getting you nowhere. So you've really got to like make these opportunities for yourself. And what, do you, what have you always done? You've always made things. And I never thought that I could marry making things and theatre and acting and um, like all that stuff. So you know, really stupidly didn't realise that making and drama could be connected for me. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> but possibly you're not stupid, that's, a, that's maybe an ungenerous um, observation. Because yeah. that's very much, as you describe, what you what this establishment, yeah. quotation mark, was teaching. You know, the fact that you operate within a particular... Um, kind of uh, channel as, mm. as an actor and, and don't stray beyond that and um, and that path is quite separate from you know having that more multitude of uh, kind of ways of being that is, is a more creative thing so you said you make things mm. I have to say I noticed earlier your fantastic bag mm. which is I want to describe as it's kind of fluffy um, colourful... It's patchwork faux fur. Patchwork <laughs> faux fur. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a great... Uh, That's my new band name, yeah. Patchwork faux fur. Oh, that should be if I ever start talking about it now. It's got a great, um, great mouthfeel, faux fur. Oh, it has. Fur. I love the word faux in general. I do like that. Faux fur to work. Faux? Yeah, yeah, I think the spelling... What, what's your favourite thing to put faux in front of? Oh. Or is that... I mean, first, I just, like... I don't know, I'm, I'm an idiot and I use it like, I'm like, it's a bit fur, isn't it? Like, it's in someone's being fake. I think it's funny. It, it just makes me laugh. So. <laughs> what a gift of a word. If, if in one syllable, it can just make you laugh. Um, so you said you make things, like you say you make this bag, for example, mm. possibly fairly recently. I don't know how, I mean, it's... I mean, it, it's not fresh faux. No, I think that's like, or is that part of it? Is it a distressed faux? <laughs> oh God, no! It, it was way prettier when it began its life. I think I made it in February on a very dark evening. Okay. And was like, right, I need to brighten up things tonight. 
So that was the result of that. Basically, I get bored really easy, so Ooh. craft lends itself to that. So, have you had an experience, since you were a young, younger person, um, a child perhaps, you were always making things, what kind of things? Um, sewing and textiles stuff mainly. My grandma told me to sew when I was like tiny and I made my first outfit. It was the best outfit ever. It was purple tie-dye three-piece outfit and it consisted of a halter neck top, drawstring trousers, this was like the mid-90s, um, and a, do you remember that thing when you'd wear a skirt over trousers and that was really cool? Was that a thing? Oh yeah, that in was a thing. Oh my god, it was definitely what a thing. What kind of skirt? What kind of trousers? So it was, uh, who, who, who would have, who's done this? Like, it was pr- probably Gwen Stefani inspired without me knowing yeah. it. It was very much of that ilk. So the skirt went over the trousers and it all matched, but then you could wear it without the trousers and it'd be like a skirt. And how my grandma let me make like a... Can I swear? I was going to say... A, you could say... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my grandma like, thought it was fine to let me make a mini skirt and hold it off at the age of about eight. Oh, it was the best outfit though. I wish I still had you it. Oh, wow, eight. Yeah, something like that. Like, And she she was an artist and so was my granddad, but I never got to meet him. But they were... that Her house was filled with stuff. She was a glass engraver primarily. So there was always stuff. And even my mum, although she wasn't um, kind of practising so many things at that point, like she's always done lots of different creative things as well so we just grew up thinking that, that was completely what you just did you didn't really watch telly you just made stuff you got pens out or whatever so was that stuff that you had so stuff you had around you you had access to all this thing uh, these things and you had these people mm. uh, your mother and grandmother who were modeling that stuff as in they, they were just getting on with it and you would see them doing it yeah that's just what you did yeah. like um my fam- my mum and dad are very interested. My dad's not a creative person at all. Um, but but then my mum is like completely the other way and so is my grandma. So I had kind of both sides. My dad's really like a Yorkshire working class man. So I had like a very interesting mix of people and personalities. So so what do you, do you do you attribute the different different parts of yourself to your parents respectively? Maybe. I think I was very lucky that I was, um, me and my sister were both always just encouraged to um, think for ourselves. <laughs> um, that sounds really like being negative towards other people. I don't know. I think, I mean, that was normal for us. We were always encouraged to um, do whatever we wanted to as long as it, you know, was a positive thing, you know. Mm. When you say that, I picture, you know, an open space to kind of go and frolic in. Yeah, we grew up in the middle of nowhere as well, so there wasn't a whole lot of things to do other than go for a walk or be in be in the house because it was like three miles to the nearest village, ten miles to the nearest town, forty miles to the nearest city, kind of thing, probably more. So, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of other options in a way. <laughs> you had to make your own fun. Yeah. You mentioned that you get bored easily. Mm. Are you familiar with the feeling of boredom? Um. Yeah, I suppose so, but I think boredom can be a really positive thing and I'm also trying to teach myself now as an adult that you need boredom in order to have new ideas and to relax and um, that doing nothing is also really important. Um, I think when you're a very driven person and you want to get things done, you want to achieve things, that you forget that it's like if you're not doing something then you become unworthy or something, but that's obviously not true, but it can feel like that I think when you want to when you want to achieve lots of things. Mm, I have a similar feeling about boredom as uh, 
regarding it as a necessary step in a creative process. I think that creativity is, uh, I've described it sometimes as you're trying to meet some need or close some gap or something. And I think in order to do that, you have to listen to the need and be in a state of lack or just basically sitting, looking at a blank page and just seeing how blank it really is. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that thing, because otherwise, what are you creating? You know, the, what's the antithesis of creativity? Uh, well, destruction would be the opposite. Um, but maybe it's just nothingness. I think you have to be able to sit in the nothingness mm. or the boredom of it. Um, to invite something in. A good friend of mine described her, she's an artist, she does various different things, but she described it when we were, very, we were at a festival and it's very late at night, and um, she had an installation at that festival and she wasn't very pleased with it, and she was like, it's a fucking compulsion, I can't help it, I've got to make things, and we are all really like, you know, it's quite late at the festival, all a bit worse wear, and we were talking about it really, and, and but that I felt really connected with that uh, statement at that time. Like it is, does feel like a compulsion sometimes, and sometimes you wish that you could just be a normal person, whatever that means, and not need to do these things and be satisfied with maybe things being a bit simpler. But no, it just seems that that's not the case, and that you just have to do it. describe a lot of performers I know describe mm. a feeling for you know that two minutes before you go on stage <sighs> and the question usually asks why do we do this to yes, ourselves yes. and the, the nerves and the anxiety mm. and stuff like that uh, where do you where in the process do you most feel that oh god why am I doing this most people come off stage and feel really high and I don't seem to get that <laughs> which has made me ask even further why do I do this but I think it's probably afterwards when you know obviously when people come and see if you you know your work or if you've performed and you know like people want to say hello to you and do that bit which is really nice but I always just want to hide <laughs> and it's like I feel really flat and I think it's because I've like used up everything I have often um, and find it quite difficult to be like upbeat afterwards even if it's gone well I'm just like Oof, I don't know used up I suppose so I think that's probably the time I think why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which is so quite an odd time to feel it, I think. But. Do you get that in the middle of a run, say? So do you need to find that energy or whatever again for, for the next evening? No, I kind of, you know, I kind of <laughs> have a really weird relationship where I dread quite a lot of it, but then I seem to want to keep doing it. Um, which is quite odd. I think I get that more specifically with performing than I do other areas mm. of theatre. But um, I just seem to... I want to do it still. I think for me, the reason I like performing so much and particularly drawn to acting because I love playing out someone else and being someone else and like telling someone else's story. And I think when you have a really overactive mind, it's really nice to not be in your mind and to be in somebody else's with their problems. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what really draws me to acting. Yeah. Going on holiday for an hour. Oh, totally. It's great. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then you were. Your journey's complete and you're still you. You've got to go back. I know, it's so. like, just go home and eat some cheese on taste now. So I rock and roll lifestyle. I have a similar feeling, and it's 
bizarre lights, but in the middle of like uh, production, just getting that sense of oh yeah, it's all happening, great, uh, you know, we're going to make this amazing thing. God, I can't wait until it's over. Yeah. It's weird. It's really weird. And I think especially, like, the more you do and the more you, like, look at, especially when you're producing or directing and you see the other sides of it, and there's so many, like, other pressures on it, like, you know, getting reviews, are they good or bad? You know, sometimes even getting a reviewer there is difficult. Like, selling the tickets, are you disappointed if it's not sold out? Or, you know, if you've got five people there, is that a failure? Is that, you know, can you still work that into a success in your own head? And all those things as well. I think I found it really nice lately just acting um, and not, like, when it's for a different company because I don't have to worry about all the other stuff, mm. which I love all that other stuff. But... Um, I think when it's someone else's problem when there's only five tickets sold, then that's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, you can take that problem on, but not necessarily yeah. in an ongoing yeah. way every single time. So, you're an actor, <laughs> but you burst out of that. that yeah. And that's, that's a really um, interesting observation about the limiting idea of just being an actor or, or whatever and the idea that you have to adopt this label and even mm. as you describe it you described so you changed your hair colour so we actually just, and did certain things mm. and adopted the identity of what an actor is supposed mm. to be and in that you, the way you describe it sounded very restrictive and actually not very helpful towards getting you any further or not it wasn't so no. where did you f- so you, you kind of started to connect this idea that uh, maybe through was it improvisation or the, you know, the idea of making things, sorry, was um, compatible with making theatre. So how did how that evolve, you know, from, from failed actor, which is another... Um, it's a beautiful term, yeah. <laughs> well, they're both, they're both labels, aren't they, mm. that we just talked about, you know, the actor and the idea of failure. Yeah. Aren't you just someone who makes things? So how, how did that evolve, like, beyond that then? Um, Post-uni of... Because I realised that... Again, it's that, that cheesy thing about um, you need to create your own opportunities and um, it all different little things happen like when I first, the first improv show I did, the guy that was running that then started running like Andrew Allen, you know him, he started mm. running Short Paving and he asked me if I wanted to direct one of them and, and then I did that and I thought, oh this is great, I like this um, and then that's when I realised, I was like, oh shit, I can do like the, the art thing and the drama thing and they go together and it was like wow this is magical and then um, my boyfriend at the time was trying to write a play and I was like I'll direct it <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you do at the beginning when you think you're great <laughs> so like lots of little things started happening and I'd also been in shows um, and thought I, I feel like this can be better I feel like I was starting to like critique things on a different level and look at things from a more I don't know, considered way other than just being a performer. So I think that's when I started thinking, I can do this, I can easily do this. And I did, so, yeah. Do you think your experience of being a performer and, and studying drama, that's what you studied at I Harvard. studied specifically musical theatre. Yeah. <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, yeah. And you do the whole... I used to be able to um, Do you sing? I, singing was always the weaker one. It was, I was always... Like, it was acting first, then dance. I love dance. And then singing was always a third, but I never was a good enough singer to be anything other than a chorus, really. But, um, and at uni as well, I felt really frustrated with doing musical theatre. So 
Um, luckily, the acting tutor let me go to quite a few of all the acting classes. So when I had a free period, I just used to go and see what the acting students were doing. And then I got to be in a couple of their plays, which I enjoyed a thousand times more than doing musical theatre. And then I realised at that point that musical theatre was the wrong choice. <laughs> Why musical theatre? Why was that the choice? Oh, I just, like, I loved all the kind of... I suppose what I thought was the glamour of it. I mean, you know, it's 17. So, um, and I, I mean, I love dance and I love I, all that kind of the show and the spectacle which right. you get in musical theatre. And it's funny because now, like, I'm so uninterested in that style. Um, and probably because of that, like, totally went the other way when I can, like, make things on my own. It's like, how do we make this as, like, banal and small as possible? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Quite, quite a change, but so the uh, being a uh, having experience in performing started to crack open the the theatrical um, process, wherein you started to see, oh, I could I do that different, or I might be able to direct something. I think I've got a um, an idea of how to to make this better. Yeah, and then uh, you. With your creative partner, Rich Foyster, mm-hmm. you have created pop art productions. That's so right. Was yeah. that the sort of the next step? Because then, so you're performing, you're mm. directing, and now producing. Was that how? That yeah, happened? we're just like, oh, we just do it ourselves. That'd be easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, which of course it really isn't. Um, but you know, all this time for union stuff, I felt so misplaced because you know everyone else wanted to go and watch. I don't know the latest musical and I was like which I loved loved but I was you know reading art history books and like you know I just was such a weirdo compared to like most of the people there came out with one best friend which I still have but um it was just so different from all the other students in that way I obviously just totally misplaced like what oh yeah I should have gone to fucking art college and done like I don't know performance art or something else or something to do with craft not fucking musical theatre. <laughs> like when I think I look back now I think what were you thinking but you change don't you anyway being 17 is very different yeah. from 27 you've got to you've got to start somewhere yeah you've got to, you, yeah what do you know so you just go well that looks appealing and mm. if nothing else it teaches you what you don't want exactly you know, yeah process of elimination yeah so did pop art come about as a what was the driver behind that was it like We've got this idea for a show, and we did that, or was it like that? We want a production company. What was no, the, it's more like because I, I, I like things being like a complete set, like quite like branding and all that stuff. So yeah, when he was like, you know, we're going to put on this new first play, first play I'd ever written, first play I'd ever directed, decade twenty, and I was like, right, well, we need we need like a name for our company because can't just like put on a play. <laughs> Duh. So you know, I I knew nothing, like absolutely nothing. So you know, like fucking collaged a branding image and then off we went <laughs> the naivety yeah we've changed our image now it's slightly different what, but, was, what was the image before uh, would you ca- if you were pitching the uh, the first brand right. identity of pop art to someone as a as a client what would you say are the key words it was like a cross between a really shit peter blake image and a really shit is it Liechtenstein? Like, I can never say it. You know the one with all dots? Yeah. It was like a cross between that. It was beautiful. <laughs> I've still got the original somewhere. You described that whole thing twice using the term really shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was DIY at best. DIY. I mean, and, I, and DIY is really important to me, that whole ethos of like that punk mm. thing and DIY or die. I totally love that and that's totally what I'm about. 
but you know like your first ever trial of that's often not the most considered and spot on that's, that's an interesting um is there a tension there because how i uh how i've noticed how you present pop part in that mm. I mean, diy is the thing it's mm. uh, it's kind of i don't know cut and pasted together it's kind of drawn from little bits and make something else out of it so the diy thing but also you've got this sensibility where you've got an idea enough that your brand <laughs> and that, that whole sense of presentation which is quite yeah is that freshly minded is, is there a tension there like i don't think it's i think i you know we're still so young in what we're making um and obviously we're a bit further on from that now but we're still like so at the very beginning um I think it is partly, like I said, I like things to be like quite complete and I, I like details, even if they're shoddily done, to be a, a, like a full set of something. And I think that's why I like that whole like, you know, we'll brand this company even though we don't exist and we've never done it before really appealed to me. It's like I have this like full set of something. And, um, and I have to say as well that Elena Manwaring, the one girl I came out of uni being my best friend, she did loads of work. Um, on that stuff as well and was like really integral to that all coming together too so she um, yeah yeah she was really great a full set of something <laughs> what does that what does that mean I don't know I like you know when like you look back on a retrospective of someone's work and I like the way you can see like the progression I like it when someone does it like you know you get a show I don't know this is a rubbish example but like Picasso's blue phase is the first thing that comes in my head I love that idea of like that's the blue area and then you go over there and that's like the red area and I really like that idea of lots of sets within something that's bigger and that's why like pop heart um obviously you can see a connection that I quite like pop heart here and that ethos as well but I don't know, I like the idea of lots of different things coming under one umbrella and they're weirdly all just slightly connected. Mm. And what are the things under the pop art umbrella? Um, thematically, we're really interested in like um, banal subjects, really, it seems, which is, is constant inspiration. Um, but then we really like like things that are a bit troublemaking, even though I don't think that really comes out in the work, but um, like all these... I'm always and always have been really influenced by like art movements and music culture and subcultures um, rich as well so like we really like that slightly troublemaking thing too which is really odd considering we like really dull subjects um, that's yeah that's it. maybe those two things kind of um, show each other up mm -hmm. you know the banal or the normality and then uh, the kind of disruptive challenging force, I don't know, mm. perhaps. Yeah, maybe. And not to put words in your No, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. But that's thematically. And, 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 is, uh, and what, what about in terms of the actual product, the thing that people actually experience? Is, is that purely theatre or what, what kind of, of theatre? It's quite um, traditional, either dialogue-led theatre which is often has a lot of elements of naturalism like Rich really likes the mumblecore style of film which mm -hmm. is you know kind of an American continuation of all that naturalistic stuff um, and I I really like looking at really everyday subjects we both do um, and 
we really like the non-dramatic moments of life and looking at those and how you know we find those moments really interesting how did you find that like how um where have you seen examples of that that really made that appealing to you i don't know i really don't know I don't know if that comes from, like I said about musical theatre and that being about spectacle, and maybe it comes from like a natural reaction to that. Going saying, what's the other side? Yeah. Um, and things being really raw and real. I think, even though obviously it's fucking theatre, it's not real, but um, the magic that can happen when you see like really good performers telling an interesting story but nothing's really happening, I find that really impressive. and. I think that's what we're trying to work towards. Yes, nothing. What nothing appears to be happening, but the audience is absolutely engaged. Yeah, and being taken along. I think by. that's like real magic. That's yeah. real magic. Yeah. I read a couple of things. I listened to another interview you did, in which you use the terms kind of normal life or real life mm. and uh, and this desire to, to highlight or look at the absurdity so the absurdity I love absurd yeah what, yeah what does that mean and uh, yeah like how, how, how do you how do you explode the absurdity of like normal life like what's that look like I, I think um, me and Richard both worked I'm sure loads of us have like quite boring jobs or like you know service industry jobs which can be quite soul destroying or boring or whatever but there's I think within that there's a lot of moments like where you're like what the fuck did anyone else just hear what that person said that's insane like I feel like I'm in a sitcom or I feel like I'm in a soap or I feel like I'm in like you know like Alan Partridge or something like you know there's amazing characters and stories and dialogue from just these odd transactions you get with people um mm. in in real life and i think you know i spent a lot of time writing them down as well just because i found them fascinating i think like how, how does this, is this how is this happening how has that person said that it's just so odd like you couldn't write it like you know you literally couldn't and um that's what i like that's what i find really absurd that you know when you watch like i suppose alan partridge is quite a good example like you think oh that's not real but then when you like if you listen like i last time I went home we were listening to the radio and it was Alan Partridge on the radio I and mean, it wasn't but it could have been like you know and it's like that is real like these things that we think are absurd it's like it's probably all happened and so whereabouts of um have you ever so you say write these things down you listen you've got an ear for them you listen out for them has anything ever wound its way into uh, a show you've created oh god loads <laughs> yeah example. Um, you don't have to say where it came from if that's the space of well, Blue Sky thinking that we're working on at the moment for this fringe, like Rich has written that based in on an office environment, and like I mean he's had to cut loads of it because like it was too much material, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know he documented a lot of what was going on around him, um, and the last project I devised called Shot Play was had lots of real life dialogue in that <laughs> so yeah from your experience uh, working in the retail yeah um, sector yeah I love that do you still do that can you, you can't oh yeah I do right. yeah. yeah no everyone knows I do it it's alright it's not so, so. 
<laughs> no, I'm very, I'm very sensitive to like you know real people, but you get some brilliant one-liners. <laughs> so retail jobs or the corporate culture mm. thing, people are operating in a, in a system where there are ways of doing things. Mm. In retail, it's very transactional. Mm. Corporations have their own internal culture and language and mm. stuff like that, which you sort of have to adopt. And um, and if, if you are uh, operating somewhere else in life in a more creative and open way, then yeah, I suppose that probably does show up the differences. It's like that's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what work have you created that you've been especially proud of? Uh, well, do you ever get that thing? I hope other people get it as well. <laughs> that you make something and like. And then as soon as it, like it, you know, it's performed or like a week after whatever, you think, oh God, that was bad at those moments. Like you, it's like a constant, you always move the fucking goalposts. So once you've done it, you go, oh, I know how that can be better. And then you move it again and then you do that. And it's like, it's never fucking ending, which maybe it's just part of my, like the way I am. I think um, our show, Am I Fuckable, was is ever evolving and we're revisiting it again this year to take to Edinburgh and it's going to change again and I think I feel proud of that project because of the nature of it that it is so it's not really a story it's a concept and then you can move everything within it to match up to what to respond to like the current world and I really like that idea so I'm probably that one that one because it's uh it's got some lim- it sounds you very described it as kind of a living it is thing. yeah and lots of people worked on that when it began like three really great actors and four like other collaborators and like and it's massively owed to them like what it what it is like totally their hard work and I I mean I that was the first time I'd ever devised and the first time I'd like collaborated with so many people on one project and had lots of highs and lows, but I think I think that is kind of becoming like our flagship project, and one of those things we'll probably revisit several more times. It feels like Got lots of life in it. Yeah. So your role in that was that's the first time you said you devised. Mm. It. Were you leading that process? What, what what part were you playing in that um, collaboration? So it was kind of. Like, I came up with the title and then decided I wanted to devise the show. Um, <laughs> and Where did the title come from? Oh, God, I don't even know. Like, I just, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I think I was feeling very frustrated at the time with, um, like, lots of the social media and tech culture that was de- developing. So when it first, when we were first working on it, it was, ooh, late 2015 was when it first got going I think so um, I was really like finding a lot of stuff to do with like modern feminism really frustrating and um, and the way that dating had really changed with Tinder and all that stuff I found really fascinating like it just seemed at that moment in time that a lot of stuff was happening that was really changing the way that we communicated with each other um, and I really wanted to look into that and that whole idea of self-worth based on how many likes you get I suppose that's it. It's kind of simplest basis, or oh, it was. It's changed a little bit now, um, so I was really lucky that I was able to persuade so many people to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, when I first uh, when I first heard that title, 
everyone told me not to use that title. Really? I got so many people were like, you can't use that. And I literally, the amount of times went, why not? Yeah. You can't. I'm like, well, I have. <laughs> like, literally, so many people said, don't use that title. Well, it worked. Like, you sold out, like, two, two years yeah. ago, didn't you? Probably yeah. French. So you had the title. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> laid that fantastic foundation. <laughs> and, and so what came next? And were you driving it? Or <laughs> um, you... I suppose I... Both me and Rich and Elena shared a lot of the production tasks, like the actual producing itself, and then um, we shared the directing as well, although I was often the, the, the leader, not like as in I'd lead everything, but more like, okay, can we like go over here and do this today? I think that's fair to say. I think, um, yeah, I kind of probably drove it and... Um, Whereas, you know, like, Elena and both Rich, like, directed really great content. Um, and I think I was probably, like, the driver of the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, and what did that look like in practice? Like, you, um, you would be leaving that space where you were devising material and, and uh, giving sort of prompts and stuff, starting points to the actors, is that...? Yeah, so we'd have, like, a concept of, like, a subject that we wanted to talk about and then we'd discuss how we could make that into a scene and then... Um, like we'd all do it together or like Elena go off with a couple of actors and then me, like, I'll be in another room with a couple of actors like with another actor and um, it was like a really split kind of workforce in that way for that first outing of the show So what skills do you think helps you do that stuff? Um, being a really calm person <laughs> I think um, trying to be and having an under, like an absolutely unflappable confidence in it even when you think this is going horribly wrong um, I think that is something that makes a I feel like a good direction a good um, ooh squeaky chair um, a, like a practitioner or workshop leader or whatever um, is being able to make people believe that they can do it and I think um, that is really infectious and if you want people to like work with you or work on your projects like to make people feel good is really important mm. um yeah to make like increase people's confidence within their work is like a really great thing that's something that comes naturally for you do you think it's like i feel like everything i'm saying i'm like oh this is so easy breezy for me but of course it's not like that i think you know um there's an awful lot of prep that goes into any piece of work like you know hours and hours and you're thinking about it all the time um and having to front like we're talking about giving people confidence but having to front that confidence yourself when you know you don't know if it's terrible or if anyone's going to show up or you know if people are going to read post sounds because they kind of got square word on or whatever and you just have to you know i think that is maybe the most tiring part is trying to make yourself believe it or at least appear like you do I think that's probably constant for every project. Yeah, there's um, the idea about trusting the process. Mm. And just continue to do it, then it will out of. And at some time, at some points, as an individual, as a director, you are going to have your own 
crisis of faith. Yeah, <laughs> crisis totally. Of confidence. I remember, I can't remember which project it was, but I was speaking to my mum and it was going, oh, I just had a really terrible rehearsal and we're all falling out, or, you know, something wasn't going good. And my mum said, <laughs> like, like, this is the process. Like, she's never done anything theatrical, she wouldn't go near it, she's like, it's the scariest thing in the world, but she just said to me, like, this is the process. This isn't like, you know, this is just part of it. This is completely like what it is. So, you know, you've got to make the most of what this is right now. Which is, I think, is really helpful. That's Makes you feel like it's not a disaster and actually this is just part of it and you've just got to work with what you've got. That's fantastic advice. And your mum, as you said, hasn't got that sort of theatrical mm-hmm. experience but has very much got a, her own kind of creative practice yeah, she's way a, of seeing she's the world. Yeah, she's a writer. Or she, yeah, she's been a writer for like 20 years or so, maybe a bit more. Yeah. And she's familiar with the same thing. It's like sometimes you're going to get to that crunchy wobbly mm. bit and that is part of it and yeah it. I mean she works really in a really solitary way so it's different slightly different for her but yeah that really helped that bit of advice <laughs> yeah but who do you go to when if you're leading mm. a process who do you lead, lean upon because all those other people that you're working with are looking to you for guidance where do you find your own guidance and support um with lots of different people over the years and um, sometimes it's just like the other people you're working with and you can be strong at different times um, I think I'm my mum <laughs> um, and also I, th- I think I'm relatively self-sufficient in a way I mean Andrew Allen and Michelle have, have really encouraged me over the years and always been a really big champion and really great with like practical advice about producing and directing um, and other directors have inspired me um also with like kind of learning to teach in the last few years as well um the lady that ran the the youth group that i started with like she has been amazing at advice with teaching um and how to handle like little moments that you get um but yeah lots of people have have been really wonderful i think you have to make sure that you're like okay with asking for help or telling someone about a problem that you're having because like, most people will know the answer if you don't, you know. Mm. And then there can be situations, I think, people are creative or leading where they soak all of that stuff up and they think they have to have all the answers mm. or be strong, whatever that means, mm. and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and that's not terribly helpful. And it doesn't help you learn. No, either. and oh my God, like the minute I realised that it was okay to be like directing or teaching and just go, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. Like the minute I realised that, I was like, oh, this has got easier. <laughs> like, you know, and I think when I realised that as well, I found it so much easier to be in the room because it was just fine to say, I don't know. And I actually found that people have way more respect for you if you have the balls to go, I don't know. And that's okay to not know. It's a really powerful lesson. Oh, so can you remember what, what sort of unlocked that for you? Was it just a, a shift in, in your mind or was it a particular experience? No, I don't, I don't know. I think just from doing it lots that you, you kind of learn things along the way and I think that's probably one of the things I just that happened once I didn't know and I just probably was feeling quite reduced to just said I don't know and then had a good response. But, I've, you know, I've had that in lots of... Obviously, don't know everything. So, you know, it's, it's a really good thing to be okay with that. And I found with younger students that they actually really respect, seem to really respect that. And it was quite unusual for an adult to say that to them. Yeah, and I, I suppose, just 
day-to-day human experiences that we often find ourselves in a situation where we don't know mm. or we're unsure mm. and to have that voiced by someone who's in that leadership position mm. or whatever that is or an adult to, to a child is actually quite refreshing and mm. leveling and um, I think I, I, I totally recognise that myself That's something very freeing about saying I don't know and actually exciting I suppose it's maybe it leads into the impro- improvise improvisational improvising space <laughs> of uh, I don't know but let's go and find out together yeah. what's fun yeah it doesn't have to be a bad thing it doesn't have to be like the end of the, the story it can be the beginning kind of thing can't it yeah yeah that's a yeah, bit of a mind shift in it it kind of goes hand in hand with that failure thing it's like it's not a uh, it's not a it's not wrong or um, catastrophic that we don't know. No, and it's like, I feel like you're so taught that you need to be like, in control. I mean, especially as like a girl, I think I, I might have this wrong, maybe this is just how I feel, but being a, a young woman in any industry, I feel like you have to work, it seems for me, a lot harder to be heard, be noticed, be taken seriously. So I think for a long time, like, you know, I really wanted to be, like, fucking on it and perfect with everything. So I gave no one cause to doubt me because I was just a little girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas now I think, you know, I'm s- I've kind of probably moved past that a little bit um, and realised that well, people are just going to have to deal with me not knowing if I don't know the answer and I'm still, like, not to be messed with, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's very. That's, there's there's a lot there because so much there's so much potential wastage. Mm. I think uh, where there are situations created where people are inhibited um, in sharing everything they have to offer. Yeah. Um, and so much energy wasted, perhaps in examples you give by ha- by having to feel like. I don't know, over-prepared yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that and putting all that energy into there yeah. and actually how, how releasing it is to say, oh, I don't know. Um, is that something you've encountered a lot? Having Not to... probably loads, but often. Um, and I think a really good example, which is like a really nice one, is the first time uh, me and Rich were in a room together, we were holding auditions or something, and it was me that was directing. He wasn't actually part of the project at all, but he was helping with the auditions. And every fucking person that showed up went to Rich and said, um, hi, nice to meet you, Mr. Director kind of thing. Um, and none of them came to me. And I think it was kind of after that that I was like, oh, you just need to laugh at this. Because that's not, you know, that's no, that's just kind of, the, not the way it is so I should accept it, not what I mean at all. But, you know, don't let that piss you off. you just got to find that funny, you know? Yeah. And that those things have happened often and it's you just got to be like whatever it doesn't matter it's silly it's funny yeah, i suppose it's a good attitude to take towards it but it is indicative of some deeper systemic or cultural yeah. uh, point of view yeah. that kind of maybe equates a power in, in, in the bigger sense of the word mm. you know in terms of leadership for example yeah. with maleness or masculinity yeah. and plants out into that situation I think that, you know, with a lot of people, that doesn't come from, like, a anti-feminist, misogynistic place. Mm. It's just, it's kind of social conditioning. And, like, you know, I'm definitely not saying that we should accept these things, but also um, how much is, there's not much to be gained by getting really cross with them. 
you know you can you're changing it you know I'm changing it already by doing it and and you know being a female in that room of loads of white boys you know that's already you know that's a whole other thing as well isn't it like mm. but yeah There are some key sort of learnings or things that you seem to appreciate so around failing and it's okay not to know. Mm. What other things sort of? Oh, be kind. Be as kind as you can, I think. Um, it's so easy not to be. And I know that I, uh, you know, we've all not been as kind as we could. It's fucking hard work, but I think it's like, it's the best thing, I think if we all just try and be as kind as we can, then that's, that would just be nice. <laughs> that's such a weak after point. But um, no, kindness, um, which goes hand in hand with like being generous. I don't mean in a monetary way. I mean, in a, you know, it goes with kindness. <laughs> um, allowing, I think like one of my aims has started to be like when I'm working with people that I want them to feel good and I don't, I want people to go away from a process whether they've been whether I'm directing them or I'm working with them or I'm teaching them. I want them to feel good. I don't and I want them to feel like they're in a like a, a space where they're allowed to be creative and they're allowed to express themselves and they're allowed to be themselves and I really like want to give people permission to do all those things because I think it's such a gift and it's hard to maintain that and believe that like all the time, like that we're all allowed to do be creative, but I think that's a, a really important thing. What what taught you the value of that stuff, or where is it something that you've seen, or you've been to the other side and seen um, or experienced the lack of those things? Mm, I don't know. I don't. I think when you can feel like you're having to prove yourself, or you're not good enough or you're too different. Um, and I think I've felt those things a lot and I don't want other people to feel like that when they're around me. Mm. I, <laughs> I totally echo the mm. kindness and generosity thing. I think it comes for me from maybe some similar experience of like feeling like I need to be something else or it's not okay to be me. Mm. Um, wanting, yeah, to kind of <laughs> provide someone with a different experience. Here's a, here's a pithy... Okay. Question. Why bother? Why bother? Oh, nice. Um, well, we could all not bother and then just see nothing and it would be like, what would happen then? Like, nothing? What would we do? Watch telly? Drink too much wine? I don't know. So, I think bothering's really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it's important, because it's important that the art exists and that art um, opens questions. And I think that's important that we keep asking questions and, yeah, that. <laughs> asking questions. Yeah. And that, that's, that's why, that, that's, is that what keeps you coming back, continuing to make things and share them with the world? Is I suppose partly, I think like we can all, you know, we can break down like what the purpose of art is and there's lots of 
stuff about that. There's a really nice uh, speech that Brian Eno did about, I think, the purpose of art. Is it Brian Eno? I think that's who I mean. On BBC, I better look it up. Come okay. on, it's cool. Fucking hell, it's really good. Um, but if art, I think, enhances the world for everyone. And I think what I feel like, one of the purpose, purposes of art is to open questions. And it's like a fucked up, crazy world we live in. And I think as long as we can go forward with kindness and we keep asking questions, then we might just stand a chance. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Um... What advice would you give or what support would you give to someone who has been in the position that you've been in previously, who perhaps sees, is pulled towards wanting to create mm. something? What's important to pay attention to? Um, I think a good starting place is keeping a journal, whatever that means to you, whether it's like like a diary or whether you just like fucking stick your bus tickets in every day or you draw a crap doodle every day something like that is really a really good starting point for any creative practice um i think tell yourself that you're good enough because you probably are and if not you'll work out how to be um and um just fucking do it it's so much easier said than done but when it comes down to it you just have to fucking do it and, um, yeah, but that's, uh, that's really shit advice, isn't it? Just do it, it's easy. It's, of course it's not. Um, yeah, that's really inconcise and unhelpful. Keep a journal, and yeah, that one's a little bit better, isn't it? Do you keep a journal? Yeah, I've done for years now. What does that give you? Um, sometimes it's good when you look back and you go, oh, I just fell everywhere. Um, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's good when you look back and you think, oh, shit, I was really fed up that day. Like, I'm pretty fed up today, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and it's nice to look back on, like, especially if you, you know, if you, like, got a or a camera or something like that, it's really nice to look back on things you've done or, like, nice moments you had. Or It's also really helpful in recognising patterns, which is really useful in picking themes for things or um, subjects that you want to work on if things keep arising, and that's really helpful. Um, Kerry Smith is a really great practitioner to look at if you're a bit feel like keeping the journals a bit scary. She's really great for encouraging you to do that thing. Have you, Kerry yeah. Smith? She did. You know, everyone knows um, Reckless Journal. So yeah. she does that, but she's got loads of other books that are way cooler than that. Okay. She's got one like How to Be an Explorer. She's got another one. Like they're all really about creative practice, but in the most like relaxed. Everyone can do this way. They are brilliant. There's another really good book by Michael Avatar, that's probably not his second name, and it's called How to Be an Artist, and that has loads of stuff about just forcing yourself to develop a practice. It literally starts with putting a dot on a page, like it's brilliant, and that's really encouraging and looks at lots of different ways that you can develop an idea or not, um, and that's really helpful. So those are two of my favourite kind of booky things, that's what I'd look into. Great recommendations. How do you define creativity? Ooh! Uh, it's a curiosity, a... Um, like having... Yeah, being curious, having some kind of practice, whatever that is, and probably either document, slowing down and probably documenting something around you. That's probably boiled down to like a really small daily level. That's what creativity is, maybe. Oh, I like that. Sounds very open. In fact, sounds very accessible. It's not this un un 
unattainable um, state that only the most artistic and no. whatever of us can reach. We're all mental. <laughs> we can all choose to express it in different ways. No, seriously, I think everyone is creative. We all are. We are all born creative. Um, and I think it's about just allowing yourself to access a little bit of that and be brave enough to do that. We, are, we all have the capacity to do that, every one of us. If um, thinking ahead about other things you'd like to do, either creatively or just with your life, mm. what would you do if you weren't afraid? Ooh. Um, I'd be better at networking. <laughs> That's something I've been thinking a lot lately. Um, find that pretty terrifying um, yeah that's probably a big one so talk to more people um, I'm part of the Young Vic Directors Programme don't know how I got on it but anyway it's brilliant so I've been to a few workshops and I find it so intimidating not that like it's set up to be intimidating it's, it's me it's not coming from anyone else but I feel like everyone else is like proper professional director and I'm like this weirdo in the room that's like shit I don't know why I'm here so probably attend a few more of those sessions and try not to be like hyperventilating throughout that would be helpful yeah those are probably the two main ones yeah talk to more people and breathe more <laughs> yeah well as, as someone who's sitting across from you right now <laughs> test the fact that you can do within your skills. Yes, I can breathe and talk more. Yay. <laughs> and to, to wrap up, um, you have a show on. Yeah. Where can people see your work? So, uh, this is, I have I've co-produced this show, but Richard Foister has directed it and written it. And it is a brand new play. It is on at the Jukebox, the 21st to 27th of May as part of the Fringe. And I am in it for a whole hour. I don't leave the stage, so that's worth seeing. Um, and I play Penny, who has to take on a corporate job. And uh, it's asking a lot of questions about uh, growing up and all these things we kind of face of whether we should be responsible and do the right thing or we should follow our dreams. That's kind of what the play is about. And if you like W1A, if you've ever seen that, then you'll probably like this. It's got a lot of like bullshit corporate speaking. It's quite funny. Um, and we're also going up to Edinburgh with a new version of Am I Fuckable? And we are in the latter part of Edinburgh, um, again with sweet venues at the Novo Hotel, I think. So look us up. Oh, and we've also got a preview of Am I Fuckable at the Sweet Jukebox at the end of July. So, yeah, if you want to see it before we go to Edinburgh, that's going to be interesting. Then uh, come along, can't remember the date. Might be like the 20th of July, can't remember. We'll get those dates and, yes. and make them available. That's amazing. Well, no shortage of things coming up. No, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Chelsea. Thank it was you. really, really good chat. Some, yeah. I really enjoyed talking with Chelsea. There was a lot that she shared and we talked about which really felt uh, true to me. A lot of, um, I think, some of the principles that maybe she brings live in the way she talks about improvisation, about um, 
always recognizing what's there being in a position to uh, always create possibilities about finding the answer you know sitting in the unknowing and those kinds of things and then as a creative leader or vision holder or director or whatever that is the ability to um, put your hand up and say I don't know and be comfortable with that and and seeing that as actually something that's real and in the room so uh, working with it and seeing it as a strength and just the general principles which apply far beyond just any kind of creative process or experience and to wider life about being kind and generous oftentimes very undervalued qualities and we certainly notice when they're not there in our interactions with people or experiences we have with them. I just want to also mention that the image of Chelsea and myself that was taken just after this conversation happened, it's a blurry and messy image. And I know that. I know it's not a great image. This stems from, I think, two things. One, a simple matter of my face grease being on the camera lens. Yeah, like, it happens. It happens. Happens to you. Happens to me. And also the fact that I find taking selfies just hideously embarrassing and uh, don't necessarily wait for the camera to focus. So these are all learning opportunities. So I'm really going to try and take a, a less greasy and more focused picture in the future. But I leave it here as an example of uh, how, you know, you can let perfection go and embrace failings and look at them as learning opportunities. Ah, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for listening. Do continue to listen. There'll be another episode coming on Fridays. That's the day that those things are happening. Um, So follow or like or subscribe. Make a note in your journal or file a fax somewhere. And um, join us again next week. And in the meantime, have fun making things. Even if it's just breakfast. Mm breakfast.